Hello, my darling Doclos. Welcome to yet another episode of The Documenteers, the great documentary-themed podcast. I'm your main bitch, Bob Sham, and each week, myself and another side piece discuss a different documentary. We discuss, we judge, and we joke. I would say this podcast sits somewhere between a serious film discussion and a juvenile shit show, and we're the creamy filling in the middle of that. All February, we discuss some acclaimed documentaries that we might have missed in 2018, and boy, did we see some good ones. I recommended before the discussion that you should maybe experience the emotional resonance of minding the gap firsthand before hearing us go into it. And for this one, I also want to give a high recommendation of viewing first if you haven't already seen it. Johnny and I are discussing in this final week of February, Sandy Tan's Shirkers. It's a Netflix original. This documentary is such a creative visual force that merely listening to a discussion about it is really not enough to convey what this film really is. You like that artsy fartsy shit? I don't like it because it's so artsy fartsy. And hit it up. Otherwise, that is my recommendation. This episode will drop about a full day after the Oscars. I don't know who won Best Documentary. We banked these so far ahead that I still don't know, as of this recording, who even got nominated. My guess is that Won't You Be My Neighbor will win. I really shouldn't make predictions, but I've been doing it all month, and why the hell should I stop now? I might as well get all my assumptions out now before that asteroid crashes into the Earth on St. Patrick's Day. You heard it here first. Next week, Drew, the sports side bitch, slides back into the Shamco studio guest seat as we babble on about a 30 for 30 we've been waiting to get to for a minute. It's about an infamous NBA player who stood out in an era where there were a lot of big NBA personalities standing out we will be very excited to discuss the steve james 30 for 30 no crossover the trial of Allen iverson one of the most talked about basketball talents of all time check your podcast feed next week for all that jazz utah jazz a team Allen iverson never played for for pre-show credits this week we only have a couple of music ones some quick clips of the masterpiece miracles by insane clown posse near the beginning and a clip of the song i see a darkness by bonnie prince billy near the end that brings me back to my depressed college days shirkers reveals a lot of inspirations it's an homage to filmmaking and some films you would think ripped off shirkers if shirkers had ever come out the documenteers also pays homage to the following films in brief clips blue velvet by david lynch Rushmore by Wes Anderson, Sex Lies of Videotape by Steven Soderbergh, Fitzcarraldo by our boy Werner Herzog, Burden of Dreams by Les Blank, we will be getting to that movie, They Call Her Cleopatra Wong by Bobby Suarez, Paris, Texas by Vim Vendors, Ghost World by Terry Zweigoff, Blow Up by Michelangelo Antonioni, and Eating Air by Jasmine Nong. That's a lot of movies. What is this, a podcast or a film festival? <laughs> I'm so funny. Let's not dally any further. Johnny and I got shit to discuss. On to our film discussion, Shirkers by Sandy Tan. Documenteerspodcast.com. Keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. She saves the world in small numbers. In my vision of the world, there are movers, there are shakers, and there are shirkers. in this uh, restaurant in the kitchen with in the, every person during the day shift was a juggalo 
And you know what? I took <laughs> I took Juggalos for granted back then. Yeah, I made fun of their music. Well, yeah. Because is it bad? Well, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But is it kind of fun? Fucking rainbows after it rains. There's enough miracles here to blow your brain. Kinda. <laughs> I mean, are are they finding some semblance of family and unity among the entire lower class, regardless of race? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that seems to be something they uh they aspire to do. I think this as might, long as you're one of them. Maybe this is a strange statement. I feel like setting aside how I feel about their actual music. And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. Which fucking blows. We have fun here, but it sucks. <laughs> I mean, miracles. Miracles. That's right. It's still a work of art. I do think that they are a band that actually has integrity with what they've built and what they've accomplished. Because they really did come from, like, fucking nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. now are, like, Absolutely. Have, now have this bizarre uh, clown rap cult thing going on. Hot lava, snow, rain and fog, long neck giraffes and pet cats and dogs. And you gotta respect that. You know. It's cult fans. Mm-hmm. You can't kind of not have a soft spot for ICP and their Juggalo fans. Well, that's the thing. Like, you can, you can make fun of Juggalos. You can make fun of Juggalo culture. You can make fun of ICP. But someone you really cared about growing up was a juggalo yeah. if you're if you're white trash like us yeah like and, it's and i used to pick on the juggalos in the kitchen but you know you what did, you did they gave it back to me and you had each other's backs they would play icp and i'd be like this is trash this is fucking the worst rap music mm-hmm. i've ever heard mm-hmm. and i was into at the time uh early punk music and 50s rock and roll i'd yep. play that and they'd be like this is trash this fucking sucks and you suck did they threaten to stab and cut me and slip my throat and drain me of all my blood yeah plenty of times <laughs> but that's just how the juggalos but did are they really yeah I mean, did they one moment we're talking about they're talking about how they want to cut my head off the next we're smoking a joint in the back mm-hmm. patio that's just that's just how that scene was that's the thing with the aspiring punk kids and the juggalos <laughs> i know in middle school you can talk shit to each other all day long but when it comes to PE, you're walking the track together because you don't want to play baseball. Oh, true that. You know what I mean? They do like kind of have similar, they can come from similar backgrounds. Yep. yep. Sure. Um, I, I'd say juggalos are, have been my allies in the past Yeah. for being social outcasts in a small town. And you know what I mean? We really, the whole purpose of this conversation is that I really want to combine the love of documentaries with Juggalo <laughs> subculture. The sun and the moon and even Mars. The Milky Way of fucking shooting stars. I feel like they could be a perfect bond. Sure, it gets hard when I'm yeah, around the yeah. music a lot and I have to listen to it a lot and it gets like, oh God. But I respect what they've built. And you know, I think it's kind of great how a lot of people are starting to rethink the significance of the Juggalos. Yeah. You can see it. You can see. Remember when uh there was supposed to be this giant like pro-Trump alt-right march? Yeah. Scheduled for the same day as the Juggalos the, March on Washington. Yeah. The Juggalos far surpassed. The Juggalos. Oh, absolutely. I think, yeah. The, and everyone know, was rooting for the fucking Juggalos. The Juggalos were national heroes in that moment. I mean, their music went, might fucking blow, but at least they're not <laughs> listening to Fashwave or yeah. White Power music, which is yeah. just, that stuff is worse than contemporary Christian music. Yeah. I mean, man. a lot worse. When we're dealing in terms of pure ideology, I mean, I that's about it. as low as you can get. Anyways, we're talking about... We're getting into the February. Uh-huh. We're not sure at this point of recording again who's getting nominated for the Academy Awards Best Documentary. It'll mm-hmm. happen at the end of the month. 
All right. Well, as I've said throughout the month, I'm not going to watch that shit. No one who watches that shit. You're probably not. Well, the watch nominations, them. no. Or the Academy Awards. You gonna? Do you watch the Academy Awards? No, I don't give a shit. Of course not. Who gives a fuck? I love movies and I hate the Academy Awards. Like, who cares? I love music, but I hate the Grammys. Yeah, it's probably the same thing. I watched no award shows, but a few years ago, I did watch the Grammys, and I kind of liked it. I kind of liked seeing all the performers. Yeah, I saw Carrie Underwood, not someone I even listened to, but I was like, wow, a pretty good singer and all that shit. Right, right, right. I guess it. Was, I got a little something out of it, but eh. not enough to keep watching it every year. When it comes down to it, you say you love movies, right? Yeah, but when you watch. The Academy Awards, or when you think about the nominations, or when you go to the uh, go to the movie theater and you see the posters for the movies coming up. Sure. How many of those movies do you actually love? It's a good point. Look, most movies suck. Yeah. Most, most of everything sucks. Uh-huh. Most think music of, sucks. Think of anything. Most of that sucks. So, no, I don't see most of them. I think a generous estimate is that I probably like 1% of documentaries. Yeah. And I like 1% of music. Yeah. Which is a pretty low rating for both mediums. But there's so much of it out there True. that you can have a very long list of that 1%. Oh, absolutely. I love a lot of music, but like... Is the movie we're going to discuss today, is that within the bounds of your 1%? Oh, hell yeah. This absolutely. Is a, this is an interesting movie. I don't know if this one's going to be nominated at this point. I keep bringing this up. Everyone's going to know, at least anyone who cares enough is going to know by the time they hear this episode. We're in the past, you're in the future. We're discussing the film Shirkers by Sandy Pan. Pan. Tell, tell me about It's on Netflix, by the way. So yep. you can just watch it on Netflix, borrow your cousin's password. You know how it is. Damn straight. Well, we're all like at least three Trade people in on every. with your cousin. Yeah. I'm pretty sure we're asking you to do technically illegal stuff. So. I, ass- I assume there's three people for every Netflix password. We're Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But we're saying don't do it because... I don't know, are we culpable if people do it on account of us? Look, people are going to do as they do. I'm just saying, however you get it, we pay for it. I'll say that. I pay pay for it. I pay for mine. I mean, my roommate pays for it. You give him four bucks? No. Yeah, well, fuck him. (laughs) And fuck you, Netflix. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This is a Netflix OG, a Netflix original by Sandy Tan. Shirkers, what is that? Well, Shirkers was supposed to be a groundbreaking film by three teenage girls in singapore what 18 19 years old singapore is the setting for this movie Mm -hmm. even though the movie is kind of traveling around the world everything seems to kind of pull back into singapore yeah and the set is a rapidly disappearing singapore yeah singapore Um, was very different in the 90s when they were shooting this film that they were making called shirkers you remember that kid i can't remember his name he was a rich boy in a private school Got arrested for spray painting. They they talked in this movie about how strict Singapore used to be. Illegal to chew gum. And you see one of the girls chewing gum in this movie. Yeah. But there's this kid. He was like a private school kid. Is, was it really illegal to chew gum? Yeah. Or was chewing gum just banned on the set? I thought chewing gum was banned on the set. There was no set. They were on the streets of Singapore. That's fair. You could get caned for, if you got caught spitting on the sidewalk. At least in early 90s Singapore. Like caning? Yeah. You would get caned. And this kid... Who was accused of spray painting? And he was a white kid, like with the private school there. Mm. He was set to get cane like so many lashes. It was a big to do in the news. Mm. This kid, uh, he says he's innocent. He's going to get caned. It's like some rich kid. He's like, Dottie, they're going to hit me. Dottie, <laughs> Dottie. And at the time, then president. <laughs> Then President Bill Clinton was like, Hey, why don't you bring it down from 10 hits to five hits? Also, 
where the pussy at? Those are just the times. And I think this kid ended up getting caned. And I, <laughs> no one where I was from gave two fucks about this kid and laughed Oh, at hell him. no. Donnie, please. Donnie, don't they know I'm rich, Donnie? That's how much pull <laughs> this kid had, is that his dad got Bill Clinton to at least have a fucking phone conversation with the prime minister or president, whatever their government Motherfucker. representative just... was. Meanwhile, everywhere I'm from, kids are like getting their asses beat by whatever uh, anyone can grab at that time. And it's like, no one gives a fuck about this kid. Oh, dude, if you and I had gotten caught in Singapore, we would we would still be rotting in jail. <laughs> yeah, totally. I wish I could remember that kid's name, but at the same time, I don't fucking care. But it was a big to-do at the time. I'm actually forgetting about that kid right now. What are you talking about? Shirkers. Shirkers. Sandy Tan, she was full of ideas at 18, like like we all were. Mm. And uh, and She seemed to have better ideas than I did. They were hipsters. Her they and these were, kids. But... but they were also creative tour de forces. I mean, you see they built a shrine to Bertolt Brecht. Holy fuck. Yeah, and they were... They were cooler than I was when I was 18. For sure. We got uh, Sandy, her friend Jasmine. Basically, Sandy is writer, creative mind. Jasmine was more like film editor mm-hmm. and she had plenty of input in her own right and sophie was more like the producer she was a girl that made shit happen and these three girls boy did she as well as she was a badass all their friends centered around their singapore life they all came and would come and combine and they had a dream to make this movie they were all movie nerds they love movie. they like french new wave shit they like all the american underground shit big fan of uh, david lynch yeah and they had this teacher this friend who did you ever go to college? I went to college a few times, but never <laughs> finished it. Yeah, I went once and never finished. It's yeah. cool. I don't want to talk too much shit. I feel like I did hang out with some grown adults during those days, and everything was cool, and nothing was a big deal. Yeah. But it was like the instructor hanging out with the, the kids, and this guy, yeah. he, he, would all, he would feed into their interests, and he was very influential. And this guy was kind of strange. He was a bit weird, but he was a tastemaker at the same time. Like, he had good taste. And he had all these stories that he would tell about himself. And Sophie described him as icy blue eyes. She was the one who trusted him the least, I think. Yeah. Sophie. She said she always felt this pull or this tension or this violence between his cold eyes and his warm, accepting demeanor. Which was a very interesting... that, That was an extremely astute observation. Yeah. For a young person especially, that's... This word gets thrown around a lot. But Sophie stuck with this because she believed in her friends and their creative ability. Yeah. But also all these friends have very starkly honest criticisms of each other at the same time. Oh my God. Which was a very refreshing. very honest criticisms of Sandy. (laughs) It seemed like they'd been working this shit out with each other for a while. Yeah. Which is very fascinating. They get an easy villain in George Cardona. I don't know if easy is the right word. He's a complicated ass character. George Cardona is the teacher that they hung around with. Yeah. And he had a wife and kids and that didn't seem to stop him from rolling around with 17, 18 year olds. That's true. On the streets of Singapore late at night. Trying to find stray dogs to film. One of their things was filming stray dogs. We went looking for ideas. We went looking for wild dogs. Bang! Were you rolling? Yeah. You know, it took 65 episodes, but we got to dogs fucking in a documentary. (laughs) And... Have you been waiting for I've been this? waiting the whole time. <laughs> because I got my documenteer scavenger hunt here. Hell yeah. And uh, two dogs fucking. I can mark that off. <laughs> 
But yeah, cool professor. There's so many cool things that are just spoken. Sandy is narrating this movie. Mm -hmm. Quick and artistic fashion, just kind of throwing out these narrative lines when talking about like rolling around, looking up the dog's fuck. You hear uh, George's voice because things are being recorded all the time. Yeah. Uh, even when they're not making a movie, there seems to be a lot of uh, footage of a lot of things. And you hear George talk about how of the dogs who seem to be frustrated that they're being stared at while they do their dog <laughs> business. And George says something along the line of, We're speaking loudly. Yeah. And all the lovers are sort of aggravated with us and they have cleared the area. George always made it a point to kind of say these kind of um, fancy things to like be impressive. Yeah, in this weird fucking accent. Yeah, and he... It, was that accent real even? Like, I don't... Present himself as an American, which you can have an accent and be an American. Absolutely. But but, it, but this guy, you get very quickly that he almost seems full of shit a lot of the time, even though he does seem to have good taste in things. Well, that's, that's how Sandy Tan introduces him in her narration. Our teacher was George Cardona, a man of unplaceable age and origin. He was purposely she, mysterious. She seemed to be talking about both his backstory and his ethnicity. Well, we find out much later that he's from Colombia. Yes. It's like they have their own personal Tommy Wiseau. Yeah. Maybe it has more... Maybe he has better taste or aesthetics than Tommy Wiseau, mm -hmm. but like kind of mystery dude who's just per seems to be purposely odd. And instead of having a lot of money, he just was really fucking charming. Yeah, he had cool cred. He when had you're charm. 18. He's charming when you're 18. Sandy, she goes to college. Everyone's going off to college. She goes to University of Canterbury. Jasmine went to New York City. Mm -hmm. And I think Sophie went to Los Angeles. George... He stayed in Singapore, but he had a correspondence with Sandy. She wrote to him a lot, and he would also send these weird taped recordings. Okay, I listened to your tape that you did in your room. I loved it. I like being your best friend. You're my best friend. I like knowing that, uh, that you're around. I like knowing that we're connected. That we're partners in crime. Make me another tape, please. I miss you. You're my best friend. What are you doing now? Um, thinking of going to the U.S. and Easter. And renting a car and traveling to the U.S. Or I sent you a bottle of wine. Don't drink it all in one sitting. There's a few friends back in the day that they go to summer camp. Mm -hmm. You send them fun little mixes with your voice in it. Mm -hmm. Make it silly. The difference is that we were this similar age. Mm -hmm. And George is minimum 20 years their senior. Yeah, she's barely not a child. <laughs> Just barely. On college break, Sandy went to L.A. to meet George. These kids must have some money behind them. I mean... You can't, it's it's not cheap to just suddenly just go places. No, the, I mean, they're in fucking Singapore. At first, when you notice, when you mentioned this documentary, thinking about like, okay, so these girls from an Asian country, they make this film and this American guy, and I was assuming like a white man, sure, runs off with their stuff. So I thought it was like this rich American yeah. taking advantage of poor Asian girls. And it's, I think the girls were the ones with the money. For sure. And he was like a working teacher. He made as much yeah. as a teacher makes. In Singapore, it, it's like a city state. It's like mostly giant city mm -hmm. with some outlay, but it's a very small country. We know someone who actually goes there once a year. They have friends there. But it's like a cultural melting pot. Oh, yeah. We both know this dude, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially 
for that part of Asia, it's like all of Asia is like wrapped up in here, mm-hmm. and like every major religion is represented in this city. Yeah, and, and I and, noticed, I noticed the girls. Yeah, they all look ethnically different from each other. They look like they're all from a different part of Asia. Yeah, I mean, Sophie, I I assume she's Indian. I was watching with my girlfriend mm. who works with a lot of Indians, and she said she thought Sophie was Indian. Yeah, and they could all just be like various bits of each other. Oh, of course, but. There is a lot of East Asian people, obviously, in Singapore, but it's not unusual to see anyone of any color That's in true. this city. It's not, it's a very culturally open city. I'd love to, I can't wait to go someday. I'd like their to. white friend who lived there. Yeah. Was doing the soundtrack and he seemed like he was just as much Singaporean as anybody else. Absolutely. It's, it seems like a fun Singaporean, place. is that the word? And they've got their, their noodles where you got to pour the the hot sauces on the dried noodles and it like loosens them up and and then you get it in your eye yeah <laughs> it's pretty rough because you eat through your eye and not through your mouth and that's weird I, I tend to do that yeah she went to la to meet george and they drove to san francisco mm-hmm. there was a lot of moments in this movie where sandy would describe things that are happening through these amazing visuals which we're not going to be able to do justice simply talking about it that's one of the parts of the movie that was the most amazing to me was just the shots this entire film except for you know the little bits of stuff they shot before shooting the actual film shirkers Mm -hmm. and the interviews with people afterwards yeah like you know all grown up in the 2010s other than that it was all footage from the film they were shooting just rearranged in certain ways it reminded me of uh we did a movie it's the tyler man co episode Effort fake the Orson Welles movie. I don't know if mm-hmm. you've ever seen that. No. And uh, the editing of that is like super well done. Any words that they say would have like a representative image and things were not staying on the screen for longer than two seconds right. in a lot of ways. And this movie kind of had that kind of feel as well. Things were represented beautifully, but also you found yourself questioning the path and journeys. Almost things seemed to kind of be tongue in cheek. What they were shooting almost seemed like it was shot in limbo. There was no real time yeah. to it. And maybe that's just how Singapore was at the time, that it was an Asian country that was slowly being modernized and becoming one of the richest countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Or if they were really going for that. But what I got out of it was that there was just all different time periods existing in one space. Yeah. Interesting fucking characters who also just seemed to be wandering around aimlessly. Like, they had missions, but they didn't seem to be missions that were actually going anywhere. You know what I'm saying? If you're listening to this episode and you haven't watched this, I think you should watch it. Oh, damn. Yeah. There's an aspect of this as we go through the story. Even though you can hear what we're saying, there, you could probably still watch it after we talk about it and get like a whole different experience out of it because I agree the just the 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 visual pacing and the editing is it's done so like creatively and stylishly I mean I don't think I've ever seen a movie like this really no I mean the closest I could think was maybe David Lynch color wise they love they talked about how they were into what was it blue, blue velvet. velvet yeah what kind of beer do you like Heineken fuck that shit Pax Blue Ribbon! Yeah, but also it kind of reminded me of Wes Anderson if he gave a shit about poor people. Oh, snap! I mean, it had a lot of his t- his color schemes. It had a lot. It seemed to have a lot of his um. What's the word? I mean, this was well before his time. His too. aesthetic. It seemed style. to have a lot of his aesthetic, a lot of his color schemes, and his the characters seemed to have that deadpan way of communicating. I mean, maybe that's a Singaporean trait as well. I don't know, but that's what came across to me. Yeah, and they were fans of him at the time because 
Yeah. At this point, you were getting into early Wes Anderson, like Rushmore and Bottle yeah. Rocket and movies like that. Right. So, and th- those were, I know those were a big deal to me as a young movie fan, those films. Except unlike Wes Anderson, it seems like the main characters in this film were working class, which I like a lot better. Sure. I like watching a good movie about a fucked up yuppie family, but it's like... <laughs> Rushmore, right. I still love. I, I, at the, in my day, I watched that like a hundred times. I'm not sure we've even seen Rushmore. You know that Jason Schwartzman, isn't mm-hmm. it? Bill Murray with great comedic timing in that movie. So you were in Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Were you in the shit? Yeah, I was in the shit. Are you shocked to hear that Bill Murray was in a Wes Anderson movie? Totally. Although, though, what's the submarine one? Life Aquatic. Um, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Look. The set design in that movie is fucking fantastic. I think all of his set designs are fantastic. Other than that, I feel like that movie's overrated. I'm saying that right now. Life Aquatic, overrated. Damn. Whew. By I, the way, um, I'm just a Wes Anderson, if you're listening. I'll fight you right now. Bobby will fight you. But I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm not accusing you of not caring <laughs> about poor people, but they're kind of not represented in your films. <laughs> Which maybe if you're going for a Shakespeare, like the fucked upness of royalty thing, I get it, and I respect that. Impoverished. Just don't come after me. Go after Bobby. He'll fight you. Uh, representations of class struggle is uh, not represented enough in a lot of things. You know. Oh, damn straight. I mean, you have to understand a lot of what we're absorbing is done by people of privilege, written by people of privilege. Or now, even um, if it's not written by people of privilege, it's funded by very privileged sponsors. Yeah. So and, and they mean well. They seem like nice people, no, but they don't, they don't I mean, know the sponsors or the no, not the sponsors. Oh, okay. Fuck the sponsors. I was about to say, rich people aren't your friends. I'm Bobby. talking about the writers and creators and all that. Okay, shit. got it. Do you know any director that came from nothing? I'm talking like famous directors, right? Think of all the directors I love, and they came from affluent backgrounds. Huh. I mean, Bergman happened to be somewhat. He was a pastor's kid. You know, so he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't affluent, but he wasn't impoverished. I think in the uh, in the golden age of film, leading up to like the sixties, there maybe it was a little easier to find an angle into that industry, or maybe it pulled maybe from other maybe. But I feel like it's definitely like it's fully gilded now in terms of yeah. representation. Well, I mean, it takes an ass ton of money to make a movie, so it makes sense that the rich kids would have the upper hand. Yeah, true that. In time, when you got money, you got time. Because Damn straight. Because you can afford to. Uh, to lose the bullshit that other people are forced to deal with so that they can pay their bills. <laughs> Amen. Or, you know, you start hanging around the Belmont neighborhood for some godforsaken reason. You end up talking to a Belmont kid Which I'm and they're like, uh, dad said I had to go to college, but I don't really want to go to college. But, I, you know, I think I just, I, I love music. So I'm just going for that. Well, what do you do? Like, I'm a singer. But one of the best schools you can go to for music education. And I am sitting there like, I have spent so much time in my room as a poor ass kid just <laughs> learning how to fucking play. We got to move past this. And your your daddy's buying you a goddamn degree. And... Daddy! <laughs> daddy! Daddy! I want to be the next Shania Twain, daddy. You know, I had that dream. So Sandy and George, they're road tripping. He gave me signals. Strange signals, late night conversations where he told me people thought we were lovers. And then one night, he invited me to touch his belly. I just ignored him. It disturbed me to even think about it. And we both pretended it never happened. Sounds like he was too afraid to be bold enough 
yes. to ask her to touch his penis. I mean, that, sure. maybe that's obvious. But was his plan like she put her hand on his belly and then he'd start to kind of scoot up a little bit? <laughs> I mean, looking at that guy's face, he's a guy that would do that. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. They would end up driving to New Orleans, one of the great cities of America. <laughs> He would tell all these stories. He talked about how he had an older brother that bled to death. Did he say he saw Jane Manfield's head roll or something? He did say that he was there when she got in her life-ending car wreck and that her head rolled over to where his car was. I was two degrees away from Jane Mansfield's head. That's like an alarm bell story right there. It's like, sure, buddy, you saw Jane Mansfield's Mm -hmm. head. Sure. Mm-hmm. He claims to be the inspiration for James Spader in Sex Lies of Videotape. Why don't you let me tape you? Doing what? Talking. About what? About sex. Your sexual history, sexual preferences. Early Steven Soderbergh film, which is bullshit, but it kind of it has a basis in something we'll get to later. Sandy officially chose George as her new best friend. I didn't tell anyone. But she had to go back to school, but when she was back at school, she wrote the film Shirkers. Yes, tell us a best friend TV she can save the world when it ends. Her tools are games, toys, and her imagination. She saves the world in small numbers. Starting with in my vision of the world, there are movers, she has the there are shakers, and there are shirkers. She gave it to George. George said it was genius. He cried. Because even people who are critical of Sandy throughout the film are drawn to her. She yeah. is a creative force, that's undeniable. She is absolutely a creative force. and Regardless of her background, whether she came from money or not, she's a smart, creative kid. Uh, yeah, all three of those ladies, I have a huge respect for them because yeah. I think that they really did a lot to make this movie happen, and judging by the shots, it clearly fucking worked. There's one part where they're talking about starting to work on the movie, and Jasmine, of course, is being interviewed. And she mentions how, like, some of the inspiration from the movie. You follow this cryptic character. She goes around Singapore. She went up in the Grim Reaper, just picking off these characters and taking them on this afterlife journey. Because Sandy had an obsession with Bergman. You loved Bergman, and Sandy goes, I don't, I don't have to, I hated Bergman. But anyway, go on. Okay, can we start? And you describe the plot. I hated Bergman. And you're not sure who's right and who's wrong. And it could very well be Sandy who's, who is wrong or misremembering. Like, who knows? Judging by how the other two ladies talk about how Sandy was then and maybe still is, she probably just assumed they liked Bergman. Sophie and Jasmine, they were on the camp of wanting to wait to make this film. But George and Sandy, they wanted to go for it. They were anxious. Sophie's the producer. Jasmine's the editor. Sandy's the writer. And George is, hey, what, what's left? He's the director. They cited that George was obsessed with the film Fitzcarraldo. There! You see that? There are times when a peasant's brain is good for something. You're not a peasant! You're the smartest bastard on God's earth! But we forgot something! What? Caruso! Enrico Caruso! We discuss Werner Herzog. And we as associate, we do every now and then, here we associate on we, we associate with them with documentaries, but half of those movies are not documentaries, right. they are feature films. And in this film, Fitzcarraldo, it's about a man who's making some uh natives pull a boat through a jungle. And there, there's something that George liked about that determination. And then there's a film called Burden of Dreams about Werner Herzog making that movie. In nature here is vile and base, I wouldn't see it anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and 
growing and just rotting away. Documentary fanatics who tune in, they probably already know all this shit. Right on. Sophie and Jasmine ran auditions. George, they said George was mostly gone. Except, and then she goes, except for this moment. And then there's a shot of George just walking by in the background. It kind of lends it more towards what Sophie's describing to this dude. Yeah, and he's got this baby face in kind of a creepy way. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had a baby look at you and it just they had this look in their eyes that said, I'll cut you, fucker? Yeah. You ever look at a baby's eyes and there's just nothing there? Just no soul. <laughs> like, you could tell this infant is already a sociopath. Yeah. That's George. Now, Sophie didn't believe in George, but Sophie did love her friends. Singaporean films. Apparently, there wasn't much out there. No. But, but they cite one call, a film called They Call Her Cleopatra Long. I think it was at the time one of Singapore's most notorious films. One prominent film called Medium Rare that was technically a Singaporean film, but it starred an American, so. Come on. We can do better than that. I think Sandy didn't feel like that really counted. There's another contradictive part when Sandy's talking about she's going to play the lead role of S in Shirkers, who. S is uh, apparently a murderer, like a killer. Slasher theme kind of undertone to it. Yeah. You hear her describe over interesting imagery from the film how she was uneasy about playing the role. There remains one last role to be cast. The heroine, S. I even felt like I couldn't play the role because it was a non-role. And then Jasmine pops into the shot and is like, You wanted to play the role. You wanted to play the role. You obviously wrote the role. <laughs> To be about you. I think Jasmine called her on her shit more than anybody in this <laughs> film, and I love her for it. Jasmine seems cool as shit. Like, I want to hang out with Jasmine. Just, I think it was within the first few minutes of the movie, she says, you were an asshole. You're an asshole, as Sandy. As, as much as you could be a warm, caring person, <laughs> you could be a real asshole. Like a self-determined, domineering asshole. There's not a lot of plot to this movie. It's a lot mm -hmm. of visual interpretations. Just think of your old David Lynch movies. Yeah. Your French New Waves and your like uh your 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 fancy pants Italian directors. Think of all that shit. I don't like it because it's so artsy fartsy. All those influences are in this film. And so S kills who is Sandy, kills piano teachers, kills uh boys she has feelings for to round out uh she needs to kill a certain amount of people for There's some a reason. certain amount of people that she can take to the afterlife with her uh, and apparently they have to be people she kills herself somehow i want to see this fucking movie. i want to see the movie sophie talks about how the plot seemed immaterial it was all about the the imagery and and singapore itself singapore is a, a, a big thing in this movie obviously mm -hmm. it was meant to be kind of like a road movie well and also inspired by her road trip across america with George Cardona, right? Yeah. It was supposed to be a road movie, except set on an island that you could drive across in 40 minutes. Once again, a very purgatorial, um, limbo sort of setting. Yeah. Uh, Sophie wrote that they needed a giant dog, and they got one of the biggest you can get, an Irish wolfhound. Mm -hmm. So we see an Irish wolfhound sometimes wearing a hat like throughout this movie. <laughs> Sophie would fake seizures to do scenes to draw crowds. Sophie's total badass. That's a great producer. Damn straight. Pay Sophie. She's worth everything you pay, man. Damn straight. They borrowed the elderly from homes, would do like quick scenes, and then just send them back. So did they steal old people? 
I don't know how it played out. They might have stolen old people from homes. There's definitely some guerrilla approaches going on. They said they brought them back before they knew what was going on. They said they made all of the adult women in the film smoke incessantly. So much. Like some of them like were smoking big ass cigars. And there were also various friends. They had friends that started magazines and friends that were film critics Mm -hmm. that they knew. I don't remember a lot of their names off the top of their head. One fellow was, who was a film critic in Singapore is apparently like a shut-in. He doesn't really leave his place. Yeah, that's right. He seemed like a very interesting guy. George had a set piece idea, a scene idea. So George sets up this scene that shows like the main character and another person walking parallel on the street and communicating while they walk the street. And then Sandy later realized that he had taken this scene from a film called Paris, Texas. Who is that guy? You know him? Yeah, he's my father's brother. No. They're both brothers. No, they're both... They're both fathers. No. I forget it. But both whose father? My father. How, how, how can I have two fathers? Just lucky, I guess. Well, bye. Bye. Which I have not seen. I've heard this movie referenced a lot. I think I need to get to it. It actually looked like a very interesting scene. So It did. Both of them did. We meet musician Ben Harrison, who did the, I guess he played guitar, he did the music for the film, but he only had like one tape. One tape. He made one tape. And George, one day George escorted him to his car. And I thought, okay, he's going to listen to the cassette of the stuff that I have. Which I thought was odd, because it was for you guys. But I didn't get that. He just threatening me, sussing me out to see if I had an agenda and, you know, telling me off. Ben is just like a guy who's not far from their age. He's Right. He just wants to get his music on to something. George is telling him that... He also tells me that far more professional and uh, established musician was working on the soundtrack, which was news to me. I think he said he did leave the tape with George because... But you left the tape with him. Yeah, because, yeah. well, I thought they were going to you. George made himself to be the guy that you go through for a lot of things regarding mm-hmm. shirkers. But it seemed like when he was asserting creative input, it all seemed very forced. Like, they all had this plan, and then suddenly George has this idea, you should do this. Oh, yeah. It was, it was the fucking worst. Like, when Sophie had set up a meeting with, who was it? It was someone very important. He was meeting with this very important guy, and Sophie was there because she was also... She's a producer. She's a producer. George turns to her and says, we can discuss this from here on out, and basically kicked her out of the room. She said she didn't trust George, and she didn't believe in George. She said she never believed in George, but she believed in the film. She left, I assume, to not look bad in front of this person whose help they were trying to get. Yeah, didn't want to create an open conflict in front of people. In In front of possible sponsors or donors or... He made this power move in front of someone, and for the sake of politeness, she was forced to kind of comply. Because what's the other avenue? Like, hey, go fuck yourself. I'm the producer on this. And then this important person's like, oh, they obviously have, like, a serious conflict. Sophie would have felt guilty if that sabotaged anything. Angela and I, she watched this with me, and we were discussing, like, these levels of producers out there. Yeah. You got people like Sophie, who was willing to get their feet on the ground, their face to the dirt to get things done. Mm -hmm. And then you got these dudes that just have a lot of money. They really don't know shit about filmmaking, but they got a lot of money, and they just want to stick their face in it. And and then suddenly they'll come out of nowhere, visit the set, and be like, 
uh, my nephew's, uh, he's a rapper. You need to put a scene of him rapping in, uh, in your film. And they have the money, <laughs> but like in every other respect, they are worthless. <laughs> that sounds like, no, I'm not going to go on a tirade against the rich right now. <laughs> but George makes bogus claims after bogus Damn straight claims. he does. Uh, but this is when Jasmine is telling Sandy, like, you've always had the capacity to be uh -huh. a giant asshole. You obviously being an asshole. You've always been an asshole. I think a lot of that assholiness is the dismissal when dealing with George. She seemed to be his, quote, best friend. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that label came and went, but I could imagine that when there's George problems, everyone's like, yo, Sandy. Because it's obvious that George res respects the creative energy that Sandy has. Mm -hmm. And everyone else does, too. So that kind of uh, makes her like a creative leader. And they're probably wanting Sandy to deal with this dude. And she's probably being very dismissive or dickish or like whatever. You've always been an asshole. She's obviously not controlling George. So maybe I was an asshole. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think maybe in a lot of ways, a lot of her assholery was her unknowingly defending George's manipulation. Yeah. Her not being able to see it and then perpetuating that cycle. Yeah, at least during the time of trying to make this film. Right. Her other asshole ways are probably through yeah, other methods. I entirely. mean, I'm sure a lot of that other stuff is on her. So maybe I was an asshole. There's a scene where they're doing something on a train and the train comes down and you hear the train and then they, they have to move out of the way very quickly. George does this thing where they already knew the train was coming before he said train. He's supposed to yell And he yell just says it. it like this. Train. 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 And you hear it on film. Train. Holy shit, like he was toying with them. And it was a gnarly looking train, by the way, too. Yeah, it's like a, I don't know, I think this was a passenger train, but it looked like it was moving pretty quickly. It looks, they, it looked like these rectangular metal houses yeah. with red roofs just on wheels. It was. And they're having to like, they hear the train and they have to move quickly because they didn't get the proper warning from George. You saw it coming the whole time. And he's like, train. And he's giggling. <laughs> fucking george the money's gone though and george said that they needed ten thousand dollars oh. sandy and sophie drained their savings account and told no one that they did this he drove them around all night to many different atms the points in which you know that sandy is embarrassed is every time she says i didn't tell anyone and this this thing that is like a ghost that follows her throughout her whole life yeah and you can tell that means that she has some shame regarding that of course but shirkers finishes shooting and george uh, is like hey i'll take this footage i'll get i'll get it put together and send it to you christmas passes new year's passes a tape from george they've all gone back to school um yeah sophie what sophie and jasmine to the states were they both in the states but i think they were all still in school at the time so they had to go to la new york uh, cambridge where that's right la new york and england a, a tape shows up to sandy from george but nothing much about the film is spoken on it hope you're fine i hope you managed to open your bottle of wine don't drink it all at one time listen to classical music piano chopin beethoven very soothing Okay, that's it for now. I'll be sending you some stuff. And that's the first time she's heard from him in quite a while since he left? Yeah, it's basically like, you're my best friend, blah, blah, blah. Another tape shows up. Have a good, have, I hope you have a good time at school. It was a great summer. Stay sweet. Jasmine's in New York. She wants some input on this editing of this film. 
because that's what she fucking does. She's the editor. Why does George actually, as the director, it's not really George's job to take the whole thing. Yeah, what? Maybe? Uh, how does... <sighs> He's a very convincing man, I guess. Especially to young kids. Well, that's the thing. They are just they are just barely out of high school. Yeah, we do have to remember that. They're, they're just kids, really. Not world-weary old farts like we are, you know? Mm-hmm. Another tape comes. Hi. First of all... The telephone rang, and he was, well, it's New York calling. Your very best friend called today. At 3 o'clock in the morning, she was watching TV, and she was, can you hear me? We were wondering how the film is doing. So I said, who is we? She said, well, come on. We, the people in this part of the world. So... She's truly American. She speaks like we, the people of the United States. Um, anyway, so I, I decided I better make this recording before any more st- strange calls come through. But there's no, like, resolution there. It's just mm-hmm. like a fluff nothing tape. And that was the last they heard. And George was fucking gone at that point. George had everything. That part's fucking heartbreaking. And this movie looked interesting and unique. It looked like, I mean, you know... As a young person, I, I watched a lot of this art house cinema too. It, mm-hmm. it seemed even unique amongst that build Absolutely. of s- cinema, you know? You got to think about how old they are too. They've just gotten out of high school. They're going to college. In their minds, like their lives are starting. Yeah. They probably, I assume, and if they're anything like practically all the other young artists I know, this is the greatest thing in their eyes, like the greatest thing they've ever done in their entire lives. And something where their young passion comes through. And if they had been able to get this through at this time, it could have changed their trajectory of life. I mean, it seemed like they all had good lives. And Jasmine went on to make films in her mm-hmm. own right that have a big in- underground influence in the Singapore scene. But but if this movie had come out, it could have easily started a singaporean school of cinema and to have them completing something like this at the age that they were at oh god huge deal could have changed all kinds of shit i mean angelo was saying in the kitchen that if shirkers had come out we probably would have seen it yeah already like we in america being these hipstery kids (laughs) that we were we have these qualities we understand damn straight we like good we like cool things we like good things damn straight but if shirks had come out we would have seen it that's how good they believed the film was and that's that's how good i believe the film would have been sandy tells the story of george and we see it with images where he builds this contraption and he makes one of the young stars straps it to him to do like flying scenes but there was nothing that sandy ever wrote in that script that would have a kid look like he's flying it was a ridiculous scene because you would need like some computer effects to really pull it off there's a point where and sandy states how she's not sure if he did it accidentally on purpose he pops open one of the cameras and there's no film in it he supposedly pops it open by accident but there's no film in it was he role-playing as as a director did he just view this entire filmmaking venture as this psychological exercise? Of course, there's a very visible harness. Yeah. There's a very, there's a very visible, like, it looks like the skeleton of a teepee. Yeah. There's this very visible boom, and it's all made out of just thick-ass sticks. Like bamboo, yeah. Yeah, and they make this kid fly. She's like, but aren't we going to see the wires? Aren't we going to see the harness? Aren't we going to see the entire structure? And he says, oh, computers and stuff. You don't even know if he sincerely wants to be a part of it or is just 
fucking with everyone around him. There seems to be absolutely no point in doing most of the stuff he did unless he just took pleasure in fucking people's lives up. Yeah. I mean, that scene where he's they're spending all day shooting at the bowling alley. The entire fucking day. And at the end of the day, he announces that they've got to reshoot everything because the the camera jammed in the first scene. And all those chain-smoking ladies had to come back. Oh my god, they had to go home and barf because they're not used to smoking that much. <laughs> and then come back the next day and do it again. What do you get out of that? I, why would I watch people pretend to bowl at a real bowling alley... <laughs> Holding a heavy-ass camera in my hand when nobody's getting anything out of it. You have to just really enjoy wasting people's time. Sandy points out that... We were no longer magical kids who made a movie. We were just kids. Everyone kind of goes into their own jobs, their own uh -huh. scenes. She becomes like a film critic in Singapore. And there's like a humorous, humorous montage of like the movie. She's like, this is great. And she very much admits that she was a bad one. Like, she wasn't very good at it. <laughs> Maybe we can admit that, too. But we're getting better. Well, oh, absolutely. And this is after she had said that her creative drive to make films disappeared after that. It straight up crushed her spirit. And Sophie, in a very poignant part of the movie, to me, said, just looked at the camera and said, a little part of me died. Everyone in that scene in Singapore, they knew this was happening. Everyone was, like, obsessed with, like, the creation of this. Mm -hmm. There were so many people involved in the making of this movie that the movie is powerful even though no one has ever seen a finished version of no it. No one's ever seen a finished version of Shirkers, and Sandy, as a shitty film critic, was getting offers. She was getting offers for a book deal to write about the story of this film. That's how notorious this whole thing became and she just wanted to avoid it at all costs right five years later from the point of last time we list we heard from george he sends tapes to jasmine all the tapes are just a white static noise like the tv fuzz he labeled all of them too he went through the trouble to label like the scenes the days all of that on the white tape on the side of the vh on the side of the vhs tapes right and there was fucking nothing on them nothing just several tapes with nothing why the Why? fuck would you fuck with someone that much when you can't even be there to see their reaction? Like, okay, I'm trying to put myself in his sociopathic shoes as, as someone who enjoys making other people suffer. <laughs> Why would you make them suffer if you can't even be there to see them suffer? That's a great point. God damn, how twisted do you have to be? You know, Alfred Hitchcock used to do weird shit like this to his actors. Maybe, and... maybe it was all about the mystery to him, you know? Yeah. Like, Maybe it leaves a lot to the imagination if you don't have to watch their suffering. You can just imagine how much they're suffering. But also why? What the fuck? Sandy makes a point at this time to clarify how fucking pissed off she was. Oh, hell yeah. It's like, I assume she would gotten pissed in several moments along the way. But mm -hmm. this time she's like, I was just enraged. I wanted to go Cleopatra Wong all over some motherfuckers. <laughs> And Sandy leaves from NYC for Columbia Film School. She goes to film school after being a film critic and, like, you know, not being able to finish this notorious film that everyone can't stop talking mm -hmm. to her about. She finally goes to film school and she tries to push shirkers out of her head. But then as she's in school, she starts to find movies that trigger a lot of the themes and ideas and imagery that remind her of her days shooting shirkers. 
to show that she was kind of like ahead of her time in a certain way and reminding her how special all that shit was like the the scene shot through the fish tank in rushmore yeah Is that what it was and ghost scenes from ghost world yeah excuse me i can't read the trivia question where in the human body is the Douglas pouch located? <laughs> oh, God. Slightly below the uterus on a female. And these would ping in Sandy's brain. Eventually, Sandy would get an email from George's wife. And George was dead. And they found 80 cans labeled shirkers. 80 cans of film. And they were in fucking amazing shape. They were all, all together. All there. George had kept everything, everything from Shirkers except one important thing. The fucking sound. Apparently he threw out the sound. He he even made it a point, and the widow talks about how the widow's not face is not shown in this movie. She didn't want to be shown, but you see her hands and actions because she's Sandy's going kind of all over, going to New Orleans and parts of Louisiana where uh George lived. God. And this dude went from Perth to Seattle to fucking Singapore to New Orleans to Florida. This guy would make it a point to keep these canisters of film in like temperature controlled environments. And he went through so much goddamn trouble. And once again, why? Just so you can watch them suffer from beyond the grave? Throws out the fucking audio. What a sicko. This guy is what the fuck for real what the fuck for real like what is he even getting out of it i'm gonna go ahead and say and i've been waiting to say this the whole time i've been waiting to say this since i was watching the film this movie in a lot of ways is very painful for yeah. me to watch i guess being around nash being in nashville getting to meet a lot of people who come here to make it in music right they come here to make it in music they show up with hopes and dreams and all starry-eyed and we're not talking about the Belmont kids no. who are like, daddy told me I had to go to college. That so I'm going to for music because I'm a singer. No, like these are people who have worked their entire lives to become the best musician in their town. And then often trying to become one of the best musicians in their genre in the state. And then they come here and then they sign a bad deal. <laughs> Eat shit. Uh, yeah, they spend thousand dollars, but thousands of dollars recording recording an album making music videos paying the band often they go into a shit ton of debt through a label or not and then it just goes totally unnoticed or the person that they were working with was not as important as they said they were or they realized there was some fine print in the contract that means that what they made wasn't even fucking theirs so watching this reminded me a lot of the people who came here to become professional musicians and it reminded me a lot of just the process of watching those dreams get crushed yeah which can happen in like so many ways it's that this whole thing is every artist's worst fear a lot of so-called success however way you want to gauge it it almost seems like dumb luck and you got to go through the system where it seems like most of the steps you're taking don't even make sense yeah. Or, or don't even seem necessary. But Nashville's a town that's had this structure for a very long time. It has a very hard time shaking the bullshit. Because yeah. there's no shortage of that in this town. I love, I like this city a lot. I love this city. And But there is bullshit here, for there sure. There is some absolute bullshit. And there are a lot of people, maybe not necessarily as sociopathic as George, 
but it's probably worse <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes there's some real life destroyers slithering around this town. Yeah, for sure. And like these girls, a lot of the people who work with them find themselves in adulthood, realizing that the thing that they've worked their entire life to accomplish has gotten them nowhere, and they don't even know who they are anymore. Motherfucker. I mean, they've defined themselves by this thing. I mean, it seems like these girls' lives revolved, especially Jasmine and Sandy. Mm -hmm. They didn't say much about Sophie's relationship to film, you know? Maybe it was different. Maybe she seemed, she believed in the film, but she didn't seem as hopeful about it (laughs) as the others did. You got the view that Sophie was a lot more pragmatic. She She seemed to have a good bullshit meter. I bet she was the friend that was like, when you said you wanted to do something, she would start going through the list of all the terrible shit that could happen if yeah, you did. Yeah, absolutely. Which you need that person yeah, sometimes. Totally. Uh, we meet some of George's friends stateside. I think he was American, or at least that was his citizenship. We meet a novelist named Grace. and She talked about how she, when she first met George in the foyer of some fucking hotel or something, oh. that he told all those bullshits that we talked about earlier. He went on and on and on about himself. And this was all, all this information was just dumped on her. And that was like the first day that they, that they met. Yeah. She said he was talking about watching his brother get shot. Yeah. That's a and, heavy thing to pop on someone, right? When you first meet him. Yeah. I didn't, I don't know if she, if she revealed that they had just met in the beginning of this, but she said, all of a sudden I realized. And at one point my foot felt wet and I realized he was in tears at his own story, and his tears were dropping on my foot. I knew my feet were wet, and my feet were wet with his tears. <laughs> and that was how I met George. By crying on her fucking feet. He must have been charming because... He was, This dude sure. just went out and cried on this lady's feet, and all of a sudden she starts working for him. How could you not be friends with someone who wept on your feet? How? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's a real Jesus and Mary Magdalene moment, but. Yeah, he should have washed her feet in his tears. Yeah, like, and wiped it up with his hair. (laughs) Train. When George died, they found out that he was actually 59, four years older than he said he was. And he claimed his birthday was two years later than it really was because that changed his astrological sign. I guess it's something that he preferred. And in reality, and Sandy, you can tell Sandy takes great glee in pointing this out. That his real astrological sign was cancer. He was really a cancer. Once again, fucking why? (laughs) Like, why would he think that changing his own birthday would trick the fucking stars (laughs) into giving him a different lot in life? Unless he was maybe trying to mislead them into thinking he was different. But did they care much about astrology i i don't know this guy's entire life is a huge goddamn waste of time we meet a guy named steven tyler who actually worked not the lead singer of aerosmith tap dancing on but i was pretending it was he and his friends thought that george was like in witness protection or something (laughs) that he seemed so weirdly vague and randomly specific about the random shit that he must be like constructing some kind of thing so he doesn't get caught and he was also working for George. Yeah. Which is, everybody knows something's off about this guy and everybody keeps fucking working with him. Grace would talk about how, and even even his widow points out some something where they lost 37 grand together in something. Mm. And she, you hear her admit out loud, like, I must have been totally 
Maybe I was brainwashed. Who knows? Maybe I was brainwashed. Grace talks about how he got her to come to New Orleans and dictates like a Southern noir story to her for the intent of her writing it into a novel. And she suddenly realizes five years later that she's basically working for nothing on this dude's dream. When she's like a creative person who's like, I should just be doing my own fucking thing. The way she put it was, how did I become an intern? This guy has a pattern. He has a method that he's honed for years. And he's managed to do this to people who, in reality, are actually much more important to the film industry than he ever was. Which, that's the answer right there. George and Steven worked on this sorority slasher film. And Steven said that one day the negatives just disappeared. Well, this seems like a familiar story. Suddenly the fucking negatives are gone. He claimed to be uh, the the inspiration for James Spader in Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Right. Steven worked on Sex, Lives, Sex, Lies, and Videotape with George. Some of these guys were George's protege because he was like a teacher. He knew about films and stuff. But his protégés would kind of often go on. Steven revealed a lot. George was jealous if anyone that he felt like he influenced became successful that he would do these like little these little things it's all about control with george because george i don't know what it is with george why couldn't he really make it in this film industry but he has people he's surrounded at all times by incredibly amazing creative people yet he can't do it himself and he sabotages it for everyone if he feels like he doesn't get the credibility that people around him are getting well, the interesting part about George is it seemed like he had killer taste but very little talent. So he surrounded himself with people with great talent, injected his taste into them, and then kind of watched that incubate and grow. Yeah. And then it seems like now that you're talking about this, now that I forget what it was you just said that triggered this, but I realized while you were talking that this dude's probably keeping souvenirs. Yeah. Like a serial like, killer. Well, yeah, like he's pulling pulling strings behind the curtain like the fucking Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And he's watching these people go on and do these great things. And I'm thinking he's, I'm thinking he's keeping little pieces of it for himself. Yes. I think the thing is that George had, I feel like I have really good taste in music. I, I like a lot of silly music. And I know on this show, I often talk about music I don't like. For some reason, that's funny to me. But we talk about music a lot. Damn straight. But I'm not a musician. Right. And I can have taste regarding the an art of something and appreciating that art without really being good at it. You know, I don't have to be oh, good at it to like have an appreciation or having taste or being able to criticize it or discuss it mm-hmm. and share it. I think that was George's thing. He had verbal credibility. He had charm. He had good taste in film. He had good taste in culture. But the people that he was able to set himself up around They were the people that actually had the true ideas, the true momentum, the true thing that they could put their fingerprint on and contribute to this thing that George loves so much. And in reality, George always thought he was a director, but he wasn't a fucking director. He was one of those like other end of the spectrum producers who just wanted to inject himself into something. But really, all his input was a bunch of bullshit and didn't need to be there when really just stay out of the way of those that you're friends with that have the ideas and know and have the will to execute because George, he was just a guy who appreciated, but couldn't pull it off. Look, we can love the NBA, but we we can't go down there and slam dunk the basketball. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, a lot of George's embitterment and stuff that he probably buried was the fact that he, he wasn't able to like 
truly contribute anything worthwhile within these things. Hey, a sociopath, they're not very creative people. They're there to emulate emotional triggers. They can know what to say to appease specific people. Yeah. But they're often not like creative toward the forces. They may have technical skills. Maybe they can do sculpt, but they're not like idea people a lot of time. By the way, that's why nobody should ever film a documentary with Bobby. <laughs> he loves documentaries, but then he's going to get jealous and yeah. run off with the tapes. I, I might run off with the tapes. I would be a control freak about it. It just depends. I have to know what camp I'm in, and I'd do the best I could. If, I can't. It couldn't be done haphazard. If everything seems too loose, I will assert control over Damn it. Damn straight. Just just have a plan, man, and, and I'll follow. sabotage it at the last moment. <laughs> By the way, you guys can't see Bobby, but his eyes, cold dead totally dead i'm smiling yeah he seems like a he seems like a very very lovable guy right you know like kind of almost like a like a grown-up bobby hill oh fuck that was terrifying bobby yeah you ever <laughs> see in that face. you ever see someone smile but no other part of their face moves oh uh, yes that's scary yeah it's kind of wrong that's a horror movie I'm right i'm pretty now. sure i saw bonnie prince billy smile once and that's that's what happened and then i see a darkness now <laughs> now the a pattern of george is established it seems like he's more exposed now that he's dead but sandy she latches on to kind of stephen because stephen is now invested in this journey that sandy's taken and she describes her and stephen going along and now they're the they're the detectives on the trail to little small louisiana towns looking at pink houses and the widow's like i don't know why you want to go uh, to fucking araby louisiana and they pull up to this lot where there was supposed to be some correspondence from somewhere heard steven pull up and there's fucking nothing there and sandy correlates it with this film called blow up keep it up lovely yeah make it come great no no head up head up love for me love for me loud on yes 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 it's this mod kind of film from england about a fashion photographer who stumbles across a murder uh yeah bt dubs i've watched it yeah. it didn't stick with me the first time i ever did psychedelic mushrooms a long time ago yeah i watched this movie it was me this girl i liked that i never hooked up with but really wanted to and then this old acquaintance and we just did mushrooms and we watched this movie so you thought you wanted to connect with her spiritually yeah and so but, you did. Okay, but I what did. I did was after I watched the movie, we got up, we start walking around and I felt like I was walking like the dude and blow up like the way he walked around being the confident fashion photographer. I became the dude and blow up who saw the dead body. Very interesting time. <laughs> right on. George is compared to fucking Nosferatu, basically uh, the, mm, the Herzog version mm. with Klaus Kinski. But Shirkers becomes this weird ghost of a film because you got everything they shot. No sound. No sound at all. And you could tell that they put in some Foley for what little they put in in certain scenes. Uh -huh. They kind of look like they did experiment with some scenes and some shots. But for, but there's no sound to this film whatsoever. But Sandy's watching this movie, mm -hmm. getting the memory of it. The scenes are holding up. And she points out uh, Jasmine uh, jumping in front of the camera, chewing gum. Legal to choose gum in Singapore at the time rebellious as shit and she starts getting struck by the landscape of singapore there's like amazing shots in this movie that they were making uh, so much of it is like singapore plays such a massive role in it and she realized that you know at this point she's been all around the world eventually would marry some older man in vegas 
That man seemed significantly older than she was. She got married around 2000, I believe it said. That's right. She's reestablishing this present and past. You're colliding with Sandy. And she's starting to feel pride again regarding like what she did manage to accomplish and the passion that they injected into this film. But she also had some self-realizations. She was speaking on what Jasmine would say. She was like, she was right. I, I, was, I was an asshole. Especially when she was looking back at videos of her own wedding yeah where she stepped outside of her own wedding to chastise jasmine about the camera (laughs) about like whether or not she was filming she's like is the red light on i don't see the red light on and the camera's obviously fucking filming her saying yeah right so the camera's on but she's not trusting Jasmine, who was actually becoming a filmmaker instead of a film critic. Yeah, she'd made she made this film called Eating Air. It's like a Singapore art film, and right. uh, I'd love to check it out. I mean, it would have been the second Singapore art film. Yeah, that Jasmine. if Shirkers had come out, <laughs> right. Now, Jasmine lives in Singapore. She's, like, the only one left. She's, like, a protester, pro-LGBTQ rights. She's fighting the good fight over there in Singapore. But Sandy admits that George's ghost will truly never leave this production. And Ben comes back all these years later. I'm surprised he even remembers the music that he's making. He only had one tape. Yeah. But but he's like, I can play you some of the music. But I guess Shirker's was so influential even though it never got completed i wouldn't be surprised if like he just always remembered the music like it was that important to him because this thing was important to everyone who was involved i mean when you're 18 19 and someone asks you to score a film soundtrack yeah that's that's something that doesn't leave you absolutely that's i mean as a musician that was that would be something that i would still know how to play note for note that's the end In all golden afternoons, there are movers, there are shakers, and then there are shirkers. An interesting story of growing up and a weird fucking dude that took some shit. Maybe someday we can actually see the actual shirkers, but but I gotta say, this shirkers, this documentary, that is something else. You know, I understand that Shirkers would have been groundbreaking, but part of me wonders if the ensuing documentary and the story behind the filming of Shirkers, accompanied by the actual shots from the film they were making, if all that didn't turn into a better film than they had originally made. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's there's this level of, there's the aesthetic, which you're getting. There's the aesthetic of the original Shirkers film, which you're getting through the entire documentary. Mm-hmm. But then you're also getting this. Gonna, I'm just gonna rest sounding pretentious as fuck right now. <laughs> this meta element, sure, where it's the lives of the people behind the scenes who are making this, and then the shattered dreams, the hopes, and then the purgatorial. The purgatorial state they find themselves in afterwards, just Sandy becoming a film critic and becoming a novelist and then going to film school. She (laughs) said she was doing everything backwards. Yeah. And she said, but that's what happens to someone who's lost their path. Mm -hmm. So just them talking about their lives wandering afterwards and George doing all these cruel things for seemingly no goddamn reason. Sometimes I wonder if 
Are you rating this right now? Train. I don't know, man. Johnny, we don't rate in the uh, star rating scale. We rate in a Hurt song rating scale. Okay, yeah. You're going to give this one through five Hurt songs. I'm going to give this one through five Hurt songs. Johnny, how many Hurt songs do you give Shirkers by Sandy Tan? Fuck it, I'm giving this four and a half. Oh, good one. I thought maybe you'd go five. I wasn't sure. This might be your highest rated right now, right? It might be. I it think might be. so. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a... I'm, I'm afraid to call anything a perfect documentary. I'm not sure that I'm... Well, I'm I, qualified to do so. You don't have to be too hung up on like the rating system here. I mean, it's Fair. it's to be honest, it might be the silliest, dumbest thing of the whole episode, each and every episode. I mean, Hannigan has been putting us under intense scrutiny, so I've just been trying to. <laughs> it's just about. It's more important to, that we just love documentaries and we like talking about. Damn straight. Them. It's we're just throwing up some uh, a structure so we know when to end the goddamn show because we probably. <laughs> talk for like four fucking hours if we just didn't like put some period onto it yeah that's the thing i noticed like i think what i what was going on there when i started accidentally starting to rate the doc yeah was that i know that whenever i have to piss it's about time to end the episode <laughs> I've, I've timed everything my bathroom breaks the uh, drinking something during the episode <laughs> so i just I, I have to piss so i just started well naturally going into the rating Let's hear uh, my rating. I would say, you know, I'm I. We just came off of watching this film called Mining the Gap, which I connected to very emotionally. I feel like that movie has something that everyone can see them a little bit of themselves in. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Shirkers has that. I think you can. I think a lot of different types of people can get a strong connection to Shirkers, but I don't necessarily know if everyone can uh, because you know it's just kind of a cultural a, its own cultural world and what is mm-hmm. appreciated it's definitely a film nerd movie but even that said i don't think you gotta be like some fucking french new wave know-it-all to to enjoy this film this is visually stunning and very unique and i kind of compared it to f for fake earlier just an editing style but that's a, that's a very loose comparison it still stands out completely on its own i was just kind of thinking of another great documentary that this made me think of and if, if your editing reminds me a little even a little bit of f for fake then it's some masterful fucking editing and I, I haven't seen that the editors on this movie are sandy of course lucas keller or seller and kimberly hassett so all those people you did a great fucking job they really putting did. this movie together pleasure to watch from beginning to absolutely end. if it was on mute it would be a pleasure to watch i think i don't know i don't even know how long this movie was i didn't check the time it was fine i enjoyed watching it i would guess 90 minutes but i'm not really sure i just watched it and i enjoyed it all i don't know if i can hit that perfect because i want to be hard on these movies we're playing makeup for some movies we missed in 2018 this month i like your rating i'm gonna go a quarter herzog higher 4.75 damn so that brings it to a total of 9.25 herzogs out of 10 for sandy tans shirkers it's a great film it doesn't get much better. Just unique as hell. Um, so good. I don't. That said, uh, Bobby's saying that like you know not everyone can relate to it, but I'd say if you were like a, a young aspiring creative yes. who had been told your entire life that you have an ass ton of talent, and then you finally get to the moment that you think is your big break, and it doesn't go the way you thought, kind of crushes your spirit for a while. You will absolutely relate. If you are a creative person, you definitely can get something out of this movie. I mean, you were obviously relating as well. Yes. Uh, but everyone's got their role in this RPG universe. Everyone's got their class. Yes. Some people are creative. Is that a theory now? Some people. Well, uh, Eldridge brought this up on his last episode. Okay. 
I'm just floating with it. But it's all right. We like this movie, Johnny. 9.25 out of 10 Herzogs. Sandy Tan, we loved it. Damn straight. I want to know more about her. I want to see what else she does. You know, even if she is an asshole, I love her. So maybe I was an asshole. She sounds great to me. And we're going to watch Jasmine's Eating Air. i got to find that shit. That's actually, yeah, that'll be a great idea. All right, folks. uh, Get creative out there. Keep on docking. That's all right. This house is in flux. Amen. We're, we're doing an audio test right now. Okay. Test it. Test, test, test. Test, Check. test, test. Check. Check. Shirkers. Face the face the screen and say shirkers. 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 Shirkers in. Shirkers. Shirkers out. Shirkers in. Shirkers out. Shirk. Yeah, get it low like this. Shirkers. Okay? Shirkers. Shirkers. Kind of like an angle. Shirkers. 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 So maybe I was an asshole. I mean, Holy that. Fuck. What's up? Something in your eye? I think I got some hot sauce in my eye. Oh, or shit. Something. Go uh, go wash your Maybe. eye. Where'd you get hot sauce? I ate at King Market today. <laughs> Johnny's got hot sauce in his eye. He, he doesn't understand that the hot wings go into the mouth. He always... Whenever he tries to eat, he first tries to put the food like through his eye. And um, I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. It just seems like, I don't know. He tried to brush his teeth with like a doorknob one time. And maybe there's something wrong. Maybe he just doesn't associate things. He might just be uh, just dumb as hell. I don't know. And um, we all just fucking feel sorry for him. <sighs> pathetic, pathetic man. Bless, bless his heart. Oof. Oh, hey, he's back. Hey, that problem is a lot more common than I wish it was. 